Well, welcome to 2018. It's interesting that, that we always go, oh, the years are going so quick. And at the same time, we know that the years are going quick and it still ends up January of the next year. And we go, how did we get here? It's really obvious. You keep waking up and then you turn up here. It's the following year. An ordinary year. I hope and my prayer for you is that 2018 will be very, very ordinary. I'm going to explain what I mean by that in just a minute. Um, and to do that, I'm going to start with this picture. I had the, uh, the pleasure earlier on this year of going on, uh, on one of the camps with the Christian College, and there was this contraption that was set up, which was a huge swing. Have you ever been on one of these massive big swings before? Some people, adrenaline junkies, yeah, okay. The rest of us are sort of like, no, I take photos of those people, but I don't go on it myself. And, and there's this moment, which you can sort of gauge here, where they, they reel the swing back up, and then there's this point at where they pull the pin, and that's the all-no oh, moment. What have I gotten myself into? Um, isn't it, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that nowadays with the aid of modern technology, you can capture that moment of like, ah, which is happening. And I need to tell you a little story just for a moment that reflects this, because I don't know if you've had this experience. You probably have. Where you look around at the church, at the people who are here, and I, I first had this experience in a very strong way when I was at Bible college, because you go to Bible college and you're like, man, we're a Bible college. This is, this is not just, you know, people who are like, yeah, 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 you know, cool. I'm, I'm a Christian. You're the Bible college. Yeah, these are the heavy duty theologians, you know, yeah, Bible college. And, and you get there and you're like, you know what? We, we are going to like make sure our doctrine is awesome. And we are, we are going to know how to shoot down heretics. And we're going to know how to proselytize people. And you're a Bible college. And then you look around at who else is there. And you go, if we are on the front line of this war between good and evil, we are in serious trouble. I will let you imagine. But there are some people who turn up at Bible college and you sit there and you go, you know how sometimes there are people who go, I'm a gifted musician. And you go, don't let that person touch anything. Or there are people who go, you know what, I'm going to be a famous painter. And you say, no one ever let them near, near acrylic paints ever again. And sometimes, even at Bible college, there's this same thing where you sit there and you go, ah, uh, where are all the highly skilled people? Where are, all, you know, if, if we are somehow up against, you know, the, the riding swell, the, the rising swell of atheism and, and of anti-Christian sentiment in Australia. If we need people who are highly academic, who are sharp-witted, who are able to analyze everything really, really well. Oh, no. And I had that experience because I went, Lord, what am I doing here? If I am on the front line, we are in serious trouble. Seriously, Lord, you would ask me, you would tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, going to get you to be a pastor. Oh, no, those poor people. What have they done wrong? <laughs> Sometimes people ask me to help them fix stuff on a car, and, and I have a limited understanding of how to sort stuff out on cars. But, but maybe you've had this experience where someone comes up 
And whether it's cars or whether it's something else, whether it's welding and trailers or, and someone has a huge level of expectation, which they bring to you that somehow you are going to be able to fix that thing. And you're like, I'm sorry. I am way out of my depth. I am not in control of what's going on. This is a, oh, we're in serious trouble kind of moment. So my prayer for you is that this year we would have a really ordinary kind of year. Because what's wonderful is, and we're going to have a look at a few different things in a moment, but this is the point where we're going this morning, is that you and I don't have to have all the answers. Matter of fact, at no point does God actually expect that you will have all the answers. He knows you too well. He knows that you're not going to have all the answers. He knows that I'm not going to have all the answers. He knows that there will be incredibly powerful, poignant moments where if the words that come out of our mouth are only our words, it's going to seriously ruin everything. So he puts his words in our mouth. Where we don't understand what's going on, if we listen to him and if we stay in step with him, he does the extraordinary stuff. God does not require in 2018 that you somehow magically, mystically transmogrify into uber super level Superman Christian. God actually knows that you and I are ordinary people. And the good news is that God uses and God loves and God chooses to invest in and adore ordinary people. So let's have a look at some ordinary people. Some people who, like you and I, probably knew themselves enough to go, Lord, if I'm on the front line here, we're in serious trouble. Exodus 3, the Lord has addressed Moses and said, here is everything that's going to happen. We pick it up, Exodus 3.10. So now go, in light of everything that I've told you, now go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And what is Moses' response here? Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? The Lord says to you and me, cool, you're in Kerrang. You're in Ganawara Shire. So now go. I am sending you into this sinful, wicked, corrupt environment to bring my people out of it, to call people to transformation and faith and love and adoration of Christ. Lord, who am I? I don't have the skill to do that. I don't have the right words. I don't have the right information in my head. Does God use Moses? That's not a trick question, by the way. Of course he does. Moses knows how ordinary he is. What we see, this extraordinary thing that happens with the, with the Israelites coming out of Egypt and everything that's wrapped up in that, it is not because of Moses' skill. It is not because Moses has mustered the skill to do it. It's because he has an extraordinary God. Here we have King David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the Lord through Samuel is speaking. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Sorry, Nathan. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. The Lord downloads on Nathan. Nathan takes it, delivers it 
to David and King David's response here in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? See, we can sometimes romanticize the things that God does that we read about in Scripture by going, oh, you know, those people were a different caliber than us. Actually, no, Moses killed a guy and David, well, we know what David got up to, a whole lot of different things, including killing people. Completely ordinary people. If God has a work which he wants to do in this part of the world, he's not going to do it because we cease to be ordinary. He's going to do it because that's just who he is. We're going to talk about how we respond to this in a minute. Gideon, sorry, the text is a bit small for this. I didn't want to cut any of these verses out. I thought, oh, I could just use those verses and then the font would be bigger. But no, that's okay. Judges chapter 6. If you can't read it, please write it down and have a look at home. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. This dude is hiding because he is afraid of being beaten up and robbed. Gideon, mighty warrior. Verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel didn't just pick those words out, by the way. The angel says that because that's what God had already decided would happen. That's what a message from God is every single time. Someone saying what God has already decided. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And have a look here at Gideon's response. That I know of this doesn't turn up anywhere else in Scripture. Pardon me, my Lord. Pardon me. You're in Kerrang. Has the Lord put on your heart, actually, here is this thing I need you to do. And it is like going to war with Australian culture, which loves and adores only itself. This is what I have for you, mighty warrior. Pardon me. Excuse me. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I'm sure we never feel that. If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Can you hear Gideon's heart this morning? Can you hear that, that what he's saying is the same vein of stuff that came out of Moses' mouth, that came out of King David's mouth? These heroes of the faith were completely ordinary people and they knew it. Awesome. Yes, wonderful. Praise God. I like that he uses ordinary people. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah. This word of the Lord comes to him. Verse 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord. I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. 
You must go to everyone I send you to and say, whatever I command you, do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Isn't it great where God says, hey, I'm going to send you over here. Don't worry, I'll rescue you. Like, what? What am, I, what, what am I in for here? Verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah is not the only person we hear about in Scripture that says, I can't talk good enough. God, you can't call me. I don't have the gift of public speaking. Was that a prerequisite? Was Jeremiah too ordinary? I think God was big enough. We talked about that this morning. God makes up the difference. Rahab, I love this. Here are three different verses. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, verse 5, looking at the lineage of Jesus. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Right there in the lineage of Christ, we find Rahab. Mighty vessel of faith, Rahab. Hebrews 11.31, by faith, the prostitute Rahab. How's that for an official title? The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. James 2.25, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute, official title, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Was she too ordinary for God to use? What an honor, what a privilege for her to actually be grafted into the lineage of Christ's family himself. Was she too ordinary? Did she think too low of herself? See, we get hung up on thinking too low of ourselves all the time. Maybe even we talk the way the Apostle Paul talks. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul is talking about his qualifications. He says, you know what? Before this, he says, I'm not going to boast. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool. Paul knows that he has some religious runs on the board. He says, I'd be speaking the truth if he bragged about his own qualifications. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. He says, my credibility does not rest on my religious lineage or heritage. People need to think of me based on the words that come out of my mouth and the actions I actually do. Fascinating. He had every reason to brag about where he came from and what his family was like, and he said, no, if I, if I talk about that, people will think too highly of me. They need to look at what I say and what I do and assess me based on that. Verse 7, or because of these surpassingly great revelations, people need to think about me based on what the Lord does in and through me. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. We don't know what that was. Some theologians think that Paul had a problem with lust. Some theologians think that Paul had bad eyesight or a limp or an issue with his stomach. We don't know what this messenger from Satan was. Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Satan is attacking Paul. Paul asks God to stop it, and God says, actually, my grace is sufficient for you. I don't need to perfect what's going on with your physical body. 
My grace is sufficient. It's a whole massive sermon just in that. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is why, sorry, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knows that the strength and the beauty and the extraordinary nature of what goes on in him and through him is not resting on his laurels or on his power or on his intellect. It rests in Christ. Paul is aware of how ordinary he is. What do we do with this? This is a funny little thing which is happening online a little bit these days where someone who is really involved in online gaming, two or three of us in the room that do that, you can play computer games online and get your friends from all over the country, side of the world to join in and often when you play, you realise how bad other people are at playing the game when they're on your team. And so these little pictures often go up where they go, this is what the enemy team looks like and here is what my team looks like. So my team, it's not the Keystone Cops, it's Police Academy. Or, or over here, the enemy team looks like the Avengers and my team looks like SpongeBob SquarePants. How do you see the church? This is the point that we made right at the start. Do you look around at this group of people even in your mind's eye, and go, you know what? We are in serious trouble because this is our, this is a room full of ordinary people, and that means God can't do anything because it's not true. Maybe you look at yourself this way and you go, you know what? I'm too ordinary. God is not going to do anything spectacular in this part of the world. He's not going to do anything miraculous in this part of the world. He's not going to start radically convicting people of sin in this part of the world. He's not going to declare his righteousness and his love and his holiness because we are simply not extraordinary enough. That is a false definition. It is not scriptural. God uses ordinary people. And he calls ordinary people to an extraordinary journey with him because he himself is extraordinary. What God intends to do in 2018 in and through Kerrang Baptist Church and this district is not because you and I somehow transform and become something other than what we are. It's because God knows you and God knows what's in your heart. God knows how you feel about yourself. One last picture and then I'll stop with the pictures. God knows what you think about yourself when you look in the mirror. God knows whether or not you have a too high or too low picture of what you bring to his equation. He's extraordinary. We are ordinary. And that is perfect. That is exactly the way that it works. And God knows when you look in the mirror, whether you have a view of yourself, which is too high or too low. See, it's easy for you to think about everything you've screwed up and got wrong. Your sin is does not put a lid on what God can do. Your history, your past, your inadequacies, like what we've just read from Moses and from Jeremiah, your perception of, oh, Lord, I need to talk better. I, I, I don't like being at the front. Or, Lord, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a musician. Or, or any of these other things. We can end up 
seeing them incorrectly and going, if only I was different, then God would use me. Not true. God uses ordinary people. He turns up to Gideon and the angel declares to him as this guy is threshing wheat inside of a wine press, hi there, mighty warrior. So there's two things that we need to do as we respond to this. The first thing is that we need to assess ourselves and we need to cut ourselves some slack sometimes or we need to eat some humble pie sometimes and go, actually, I am a completely ordinary human being and God's okay with that as a starting point. God can take this completely ordinary human being and he can do something extraordinary because that's who he is. The first thing we need to do is we need to actually, in light of God, see ourselves accurately. That's step number one. Step number two is this. We need to be prepared to look at everyone else in the room and go, we have a room full of ordinary people. Awesome. That is the perfect recipe for God to change the world. That is the perfect equation for God to radically turn on its head Australian culture, love of self, greed, lust, envy, exploitation. When you look around the room, what do you think? How much slack are you prepared to give other people? Let me ask two lengthy but more precise questions. When you look at this church family, when you sit sometimes and you think about, oh, my church, how often do you find your thoughts dwelling on how this church is failing you or that it's not what you want or that the pastor is failing you or that the elders are failing you or that the deacons are failing you or the music team is failing you or a particular ministry leader is failing you? Is that where your thinking goes? Do you long for something epic and extraordinary to happen and find yourself disappointed that the people in your church are too ordinary? Sometimes we can get stuck in that loop thinking that way. When you sit and you think about your church, do you think that the best days of Kerrang Baptist Church and God ministering and being at work in that place are gone and faded. Is that what you see? Do we think that somehow if we could only wind the clock back, the people who were here years ago were somehow extraordinary, but today we only have ordinary people? Are the people here today too ordinary to be used by God in your thinking? See, this stuff cuts pretty deep. Sometimes it's easy for us to, to focus on ourselves and go, oh, you know what, it's, I've, I've been thinking that I'm from the wrong family or I'm from the wrong socioeconomic demographic or I've got the wrong kind of education. And, and, and for the Lord to step in and to address that and for us to go, yeah, okay, God can use me. But then to take that same perception and shift it across onto other people and to go, actually, 
Lord Jesus, is there a person, are there people in this room where I have been expecting extraordinary things from them when actually they are a completely ordinary person and that's perfect for you? Why on earth are we talking about all of these things? I'm really excited about 2018. And the reason I'm excited about 2018 is I want it to be a very, very, very ordinary year. Because if we recognize that we are actually ordinary people and that God is the one that does extraordinary things, it means we might function differently as a group of people. I would very much like to spark something in your heart this morning. I've got the phrase written down here, I have a dream, but that's been used before. And it's remarkably simple. I would really love to put something in your heart this morning that would irritate you as much as it's irritated me because it's been in my heart for at least five or six years now and it's influenced everything else and it's really quite simply this. What would it look like if this room, the one that we're sitting in at the moment, what would it look like if in this room there was a group of people who wanted the same thing? a group of people who were actually all on the same page. That's it. What would it look like? What would it look like if Kerrang Baptist Church was, at least during this one and a half hour window on a Sunday morning, if it was a room full of people who all wanted the same thing? Let's throw some key ingredients in there. They want to worship God. They want to be real Christians themselves and figure out what that means. And they want to reach out to other people and bring other people into that. What would it look like for a room full of people, this room here, to all be on the same page? That's my dream for this year. That's been my dream for a number of years, even if I've failed to articulate that. What things would some of us have to let go of in order to have a room full of people on the same page? I'm not talking about parting with doctrine, by the way. I'm not talking about parting with any of that. I'm talking about us owning the one mission and call from Jesus to this part of the world. Would that change the way we use our resources? Would that change the way that we give responsibility to one another? Would that change the expectations we have of people who, who sacrifice their time and their energy and their money to serve this family in particular ways? What if we had a room full of people who went, you know what, everyone in this room is ordinary like me and together through us, Jesus himself is going to turn up and do extraordinary things. What if we had a room full of people on the same page? I don't think we have that today. I'm not trying to be rude as I say that. I'm trying to call it how it is. Today, we are a group of people with very different expectations, I believe, that we put on each other. Because this turns up in church conflict. Today, this is not a room full of people who I think have negotiated with each other. 
I was chewing on this thought this week and I went, you know what, imagine if this was a church plant. Do you know one of the key things that you do when you plant a church is you actually get everyone in the one room and you go, how are we going to do this? How are we going to function to serve Jesus? And you negotiate. People go, yeah, well, well, what's, what's going to work? You know, how, how much are we able to engage? How are we going to do this thing? And you negotiate with each other. And you recognize that everyone else is as ordinary as you are. So what would happen in 2018 if we actually made some time to take stock? One more thing and then I'll, I'll finish up. I believe with all of my heart that God is interested in this part of the world, that he himself is on a mission to introduce himself to people in this town and the towns around here. I believe that with all of my heart. And it means I have to ask myself the question of my own behavior And as someone who's involved in leadership in this church, I have to ask the question of the other leaders in the life of this church, of everyone in the life of this church, to go, are we serving his mission? Are we going to look at at how we are functioning and say that is the best possible way for us to be doing that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you that what you do in this world is not limited by our inadequacy. I thank you that what you do in this part of the world is not limited by the way we perceive other people to be inadequate. And Lord Jesus, where we have held in our heart negativity about someone else in the life of this church, where we have failed to love them or support them or cut them slack or recognize that they are as ordinary as us, that you have called them into this thing called church and family and mission and ministry. Lord Jesus, where we have something lurking there, would you call us out on it? Would you shine your light in so that we can be freed from that? so that maybe we can get on the same page as that person. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing in the life of this church. I thank you for the way that you are stirring people to love one another and to care for one another. I thank you for the way that you are stirring people up to hospitality, to acts of mercy, to generosity. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're making people generous with their time. And Lord, I ask, would you continue gathering us together around yourself so that we can be on the same page, the page you have for us. Lord Jesus, please don't let your witnesses here be sidetracked by the kingdom of any one person whether they are a pastor or anything else in the life of this church. We want to be about your kingdom. We want to focus on your mission, not our little missions and what we want. 
Lord Jesus, would you continue sifting through us where we have had too low a view of ourselves, where we have said, you know what, I'm too sinful for God to use. Would you correct us? Where we have held up our brokenness and said, this is too severe for the love of Christ to overcome. Lord Jesus, would you convict us? Would you give us real humility to accept that you have called us the same way you call Gideon? Lord Jesus, would you have us on the same page? Would you be the most extraordinary thing in our life? Where we have thought that we are the extraordinary thing, Lord Jesus, would you correct us? Would you remind us that we are not God, but you are? And Lord Jesus, I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you don't let us wander off. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.